If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey, cool cats and kittens. This is Erin Sadler coming to you from the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. And if you have no idea why I'm talking like this, you are probably being a lot more productive than I am right now. So I wanted to start by apologizing for the audio quality on this. You can hear everything's very clear, um, but I did have to edit quite a bit because we are all stuck in the house. Um, Daisy was whining at the door. I had to cut a lot more often than I normally would. So if you hear a lot of like stopping and starting, that's what was happening. It has been three weeks since our school closed and I've binged watched Love is Blind, The Circle, the third season of Ozark, and now I've moved on to Tiger King. And I'm not proud of myself, but in this crazy time, we do what we can and we don't judge ourselves too harshly. So yesterday we got the official word that we would not be returning to campus this school year, which brings me to my topic for today, remote learning. And I'll start this episode by letting you know that I'm not an expert on remote learning, but I have been researching and observing like crazy for the last three weeks. I've seen what seems to be working well for other people and what isn't working. I'm also a Google Level 2 Certified Educator, so we use Google Classroom about two to three times per week in my classroom. If you go to my website, sadlerscience.com, I have several modifications that I've made for lessons to make them more Google Classroom friendly. I'll make sure to link to all of those in the show notes. I've also been collecting your questions through our Instagram account, so thank you guys so much for those of you guys who submitted questions. Before we get to your questions, I have three major recommendations for you. The first is that it's so important for you to establish norms for remote learning as soon as possible. I've been seeing so many people say that it feels like the first day of school again, and it really is. Even though you've established your expectations in your physical classroom, you will really need to do that again for this new platform. I also wrote a post on some norms that you should consider in a recent blog post, and I'll make sure to link to that as well. If you've already started remote learning and you're returning from spring break, you might need to go over those again. And if it didn't go so well the first time around, this is a perfect time to try again. The second thing that I think is so important is that if at all possible, it's important for you to work with your people as much as you can. 
This might be your site team, your department team, your grade level, whoever. It's always important for you to collaborate, but I think that it's more important than ever. There's a lot of work to be done. And it's better for you, it's better for the kids, it's better for everyone if you guys are working together and establishing consistent routines and guidelines for remote learning. And finally, I think this is the most important thing, is give yourself a lot of grace and do self-care in any way that you can in this crazy time. It isn't going to be perfect, and it surely isn't going to be the same, but we're all going to do the best that we can with what we have. And speaking for me personally, I know that my best isn't the same for me as it was three weeks ago. And that's not because I don't have this stuff in my classroom. I'm helping my daughter do school at home. And last night I had to tell her that we weren't going back to school. So I'm helping her with that while I'm also helping myself through that. And I think it's totally normal that I feel tired more often. I feel a little foggy and I'm not at my best. I've seen a lot of people feeling badly about not being as productive as they want to be and feeling just totally overwhelmed. And I think that we need to expect a little less of ourselves during this time. So that brings me to your first two questions. They're really opposite sides of the same coin. And I got similar questions from a few of you. Several of you reached out to say that you're feeling totally overwhelmed. You're struggling with maintaining a work-life balance. You're being asked to attend meetings and learn new tech. And students are asking questions at all hours of the day. And you're probably also homeschooling your own kids on top of it. Or you don't have any daycare to help. I also got a lot of the opposite question. Some of you are in a position where everything is on hold and you don't have anything from school and you can't go anywhere and you're just stuck in limbo. Nothing's really happening yet. And I think that my advice is the same for both questions. I think it's so important to work out a schedule for your day and stick to that schedule as much as you can. And for me, I can't have the same schedule every day because things are changing too quickly. So I spend about 10 minutes every morning mapping out my day and the things that I want to get done. And I make sure to schedule time for me to go out of the house to walk my dog every day. Um, I am a total introvert. And even though I'm not at school, my husband and daughter are always home and I just need some space. If you still have that luxury and the weather isn't terrible, going for a walk and kind of feel like none of this is happening. You can just take a break from all of it. I've also been scheduling an hour for yoga or some time to throw around some dumbbells. I'm very lucky that both my husband and I are working from home at this point. My daughter's nine, so she's pretty self-sufficient. So I do have some time where I can exercise. If I'm doing something like interval style workouts or something like that, I make my daughter do it with me because I think that it is so important for her to be getting exercise. She's a lot more sedentary than she would normally be as a nine-year-old. She'd normally be running around with her friends multiple times a day at recess, and now she's spending most of her day inside. So I got her the smallest pair of dumbbells that I could get, and we both do a little bit of dumbbell exercise. And then if I'm doing yoga, I hate having somebody talk to me when I'm doing yoga, so I always do that by myself. I just put in my earbuds and I kind of ignore everything else that's going on. And I've been trying to do something like this every single day and it hasn't gone well some days and it hasn't gone well for several days in a row sometimes, but I just try to 
do something where I'm moving to build those endorphins because I think it's important for me and I think it's important for everybody around me. And if that's not your thing, try to find something. Today I went out and I just sat in my driveway for 10 minutes and it was warm and quiet and it was great. We've been eating out a little bit more often because we're trying to support our local businesses. And um, when I go to pick up food, I always take the long way home. Do whatever you can to maintain your social distance and follow the guidelines that are in place in your community, but also maintain your sanity. Whatever it is that you're doing that makes you happy, continue to do it. Have a Zoom happy hour tonight. And part of maintaining a schedule is making sure that you're not being overwhelmed by work at all hours of the day. Just because you're working from home, that doesn't mean that you are always working. If you're able to, delete your work email from your phone. Turn on your do not disturb on your phone at a certain time and disconnect from work. I had some very well-meaning coworkers texting me for help with tech stuff at like 1030 at night the other night. And that is past my bedtime. And I was so happy to help. But also at that point, I told my coworkers that my do not disturb is now active at 8 p.m. And also sometimes when my phone is just blowing up, I mute my notifications for an hour. And of course, you can't mute your staff meetings, but there's things that you can mute. By scheduling your time, you can really build a better work-life balance while working at home. During the summer, I really ramp up my work on my website and on the podcast and all of the other stuff, my teachers pay teachers. And so I've gotten into a pretty good routine with working from home and I think that it does a great job of helping you maintain a work-life balance while working at home and also kind of making it not feel so monotonous and stuck, <laughs> making it so that you don't feel like you're just stuck at home. The next question I got was how to deal with a situation where some students have access to technology and other students don't. So many districts are offering Chromebooks and hotspot checkouts, but if this isn't the case for you, I would start with the paper version first and adapt it for online use from there. And the reason I would recommend that is because I actually did this by accident. When things were starting to go crazy, my district asked us to make paper packets for the kids who were opting to stay home way back in the beginning of March, which feels like a lifetime ago. And then it seemed like all of a sudden we were closing the school and there was very little warning. So the packets that we'd submitted were turned into the packets that were used for the first couple of weeks that we were off. They were available for students to pick up the first week that we were off, but there were several students who weren't able to pick it up or they had other situations where it was just better for them to do it online. So I actually converted the entire packet to be an online packet. What I actually used was a resource that I got from Nicole called Our Virus is Alive, which I will also link to. It worked really well. Um, it did have a video component, but I included a supplemental article so that students who didn't have internet access could still do it. Um, also, if you are interested in this resource, Nicole just updated it for online learning, and she did a way better job than I did when I was just throwing it together and putting it in Google Classroom for my students. It's so much easier for me to think of how I can adapt a handout or a card sort or that type of resource to make it an online resource rather than turning an online resource into a paper resource. 
So that might be something to consider if you want to keep things equitable for your students who don't have access to tech. The next question I got was from Cora Bell. She asked how I would organize tasks for students to complete each day. So if you're asking about how I would organize things within Google Classroom, I would suggest organizing them by topics. I made a topic that said like week of April 13th to the 17th and then listed the assignments under the topic. I'm also in the process of creating a hyperdoc that lists the assignments for the week by day, and then I'm linking directly to the assignment in that hyperdoc. This just gives students an extra layer of support, and it doesn't take that much extra effort on my part. I've seen some people do something similar with Google presentations, making one slide per day. For me, I'm going to stick to the document because we're going to have our entire grade level team post assignments for each day on the same document to streamline the process for our students. Now, just because I'm assigning work every day and I'm giving them a recommended schedule, that doesn't mean that I expect them to do work for my class every day. I know that you guys have requirements from your district, so you have to work within those requirements. But for me personally, I'm going to make all of the assignments due once a week in order to increase the flexibility for my students. In Corbell, if you're asking how you should organize your lessons as far as sequence, I would highly suggest that you maintain a similar lesson sequence to the one that you used in class. Just pare it down. So the 5E model is still a great way to make a lesson sequence. But you can't expect your students to spend the same amount of time doing science in the way that they would in your class. It's really important that you focus on the tasks that are essential. So for me, warm-ups have a purpose within the classroom, but they're less meaningful outside of the classroom. So that is definitely something that's getting cut from my lessons. There are other resources that I would really like to include. But this might be totally overwhelming for my students who are really struggling with managing their time. Maybe they're taking care of their siblings for most of the day and they don't have that much time to get work done. And I don't want to add any stress to their life. So I'm also going to be making some other extension style activities and kind of tacking those on the end and being very clear that those things are optional. Some of my students are concerned with not being prepared for their advanced level classes. And I think that there's some kids who just find comfort in having work to do at this time and seeing something familiar. And then there's the other kids who are just trying to survive this. So I think having this optional extension piece kind of allows them to choose what's best for them. So this brings me to the next question that I am getting. A few of you are asking how to increase student engagement. And I think that this is always a question that we're thinking about as teachers. But for at least the first couple of weeks, my recommendation is to do high engagement, lower rigor activities and building from there. And I think that this is a really important place to consider your phenomena and how it relates to your students' lives right now. So that was one of the reasons that I did the Our Viruses Alive activity because I felt like students had those types of questions and this was an opportunity for them to learn something that they're interested in right now. When we return from break, my eighth graders are going to build roller coasters. My students were able to check out Chromebooks, so the students have access to tech. So all of our students should, in theory, be online. I'll be having the students make flip grids so that they can build roller coasters. And then I'm going to create a highlight to try to get the ones that are really creative and put them in a single video that I post for the class. 
And if you maybe downloaded the TikTok app and you are, I don't know, maybe <laughs> watching a little TikTok between episodes of Tiger King, like, I don't know who might be doing that. Um, then you would know that there's all kinds of videos being posted right now that are very similar to like a Rube Goldberg type activity where they have like, where they have like a ball that's rolling from upstairs to downstairs and then setting something off or I don't know. It's pretty cool. But I know that that's really popular right now and I'm planning on playing into that trend when I assign this roller coaster. This brings me to my next question from Allison. How do you handle experiments? Students don't have access to the same supplies that they had in your classroom, and you have no control over what they have in their house. This is also true with a STEM-style activity like my roller coaster activity. What I did was I instructed my students to use materials from around the house. I told them this week to start collecting paper towel rolls and toilet paper rolls, and we are definitely going through more toilet paper in my house, so we have a lot of those. I also listed a lot of alternatives that could be used drink containers, cereal boxes, basically the waste stuff from around their house. I told them that extra points would be given to the most creative use of materials. This is also a great time to talk about criteria and constraints again, because some students are dealing with more constraints than others. So those constraints can potentially lead them to have a more creative solution. And I don't know if you remember um, the Drew Carey show. There's also a British version of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, but for this remote learning, we've agreed as a school and as a district that the points don't really matter. The kids' grades can't go anywhere but up. Um, so we're really taking that component away so that students aren't being penalized if they just can't get the work done, which I think is only fair at this point. Um, but again, you have to work within the constraints that your school district and your school are giving you. So I think that the kids have gotten wind of that because the, the assignment turn-in percentage is pretty low right now, um, which is what I would expect because I didn't really think out the assignments that I gave them when we first went into this whole thing because I didn't know what was going to happen. None of us did. So I think that playing into their sense of competition is a really good way to go here. For experiments, you can always link to virtual labs and videos to help you supplement. But I also just, while we're talking about this, want to remind all of us that we're trying to move away from those cookie cutter style experiments. And while those types of activities still have a place in an NGSS classroom, we really want to focus on the science and engineering practices. So one of the things that you could do is have students work on those practices by writing up that experimental design piece. And maybe you could make a requirement that once 70% of the students had turned in their experimental design piece and identified the variables and written procedures, then you would do the experiment for them. You would choose one of them and do the experiment in your house and show them a video. So there's a solution to the problems that you guys are facing. It's just about being creative and working around all of the constraints that we're dealing with. I also posted a notice and wonder activity on Instagram. So if you're not familiar with that, that's just where you present a phenomena 
a, sorry, a phenomenon and you um, have students write down what they notice and wonder. And I posted that on Instagram and I got a message from someone asking from someone saying that they had posted something similar and that they were only getting very superficial level responses to that. And so my recommendation there is to require that students have a certain number of things that they notice and wonder. Anytime that you're doing a notice and wonder, I find that most kids have pretty superficial responses for the first piece um, or for the first couple of responses. So um, I just did a notice and wonder with my daughter and we looked at a short gif of a bowling ball hitting bowling pins and the you know the first things that she wrote down that she noticed was like the ball hit the pin and they have to kind of sort of get that piece out of the way before they're going to produce something a little bit more meaningful so um so I told her that she needed to write down five things that she noticed because for a third grader five things requires her to think a little bit outside of her initial um, idea of what was happening. For a middle school kid, you might want to up that number because you'll start to see better responses as they're really having to stretch and pay attention in order to, to have a response for you. Google Classroom makes it really easy to post two very similar looking assignments for different students, and it's a little bit of extra work, but you could have one version that doesn't have any bullet points and a version for students who are struggling to really stretch their thinking with bullet points included because some kids just naturally do that anyway and they might feel a little bit more stressed out if you're placing those additional requirements on them. So the next question that I got was how to encourage students discussions and questions. And so I just covered that a little bit with that notice and wonder. Um, I also am going to do something completely and totally crazy and turn the comments section back on in my Google Classroom. And before I do that, I will definitely be teaching students how I want them to approach the comment section in Google Classroom and but at about this time last year, I was finishing up my master's program, and I think about the requirements that were in place for my online program and the responses that I had to make for discussion posts. And I think that two of the things that really motivated me um, to do a little bit better was having a length requirement to my comments. And then also my teacher was actively, one of my um, professors was actively responding to students and asking driving questions within that discussion board. So as a student, I felt obligated to respond even if I'd already met my requirement. And I was a lot more thoughtful in responding to my professor's questions than I was responding to the posts that my fellow students had made. So that's something that you can consider. Anytime that you ask your students to come up with questions, especially when they're in middle school or above, they think that having a question means that they don't understand what you've taught them and they don't want to admit to that. So that's where that notice and wonder piece really comes in. By asking them what they wonder, it gives them a space where they can freely say that they have a question without feeling like it's saying that they don't understand something. 
So I think that I've covered all of your questions that you submitted. Thank you so much for submitting those questions. I really appreciate it. We got a good group of questions this time around. If you are continuing to have questions, if there's something I didn't answer, or if you need anything, feel free to reach out. Um, you can reach me by email um, on my Instagram page or on the podcast Instagram page and just let us know what you need. I also want to point you in the direction of Vanessa, who was on this podcast earlier this season, and she's been doing some really great stuff on her Instagram account, and that is at out of the box STEM. And she is posting almost daily about what she's doing in her remote learning environment. So that's a great place to look for more resources. I hope that you are well. I hope that everyone in your family is well, and I hope that we get through this as quickly as possible and that next school year is uneventful. Thank you for listening. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.